So I don't get to teach very often, uh, but when I do, I like to use the handheld mic because this one makes me feel like Madonna. Um, you can see the similarities. I'm getting some, I'm getting some good commentary up front already. Um, but I, I'm going to be drawing some amazing pictures for you tonight, and I need both hands to be free. So uh, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for being the God that promises to love us and to care for us um, wherever we are. And we all come here today because you have us here for whatever reason, whether we are excited to be here, whether we uh, got here by chance, whether we don't really want to be here, um, you got us here. And uh, Lord, we seek you, and I ask that you would use me as um, an instrument, that you would speak through me, and that we could hear uh, what you have to say, and only what you have to say, nothing else. Uh, so Lord, would you be my words, and would you, um, would you soften our hearts, not to how things are said, but to what is said through your scripture. Uh, so we seek your involvement in that, and we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we're going through Galatians, and um, every sermon we've asked three questions, and I'm wondering if, let's see, are there any uh, like 11-year-olds in here? 11-year-olds, 10, 11, 12, okay, so this is a pop quiz for the kids because I think that everybody knows the answers to these questions. I'm going to ask them out of order, and feel free to jump in if you know them. Okay, so, where in the Bible is there more information about Paul's ministry? Yes, Acts. More specifically, Acts chapter 13 and 14, right. We're getting there. That's the warm-up question. The next one is, what is it meant by the gospel? What does that mean? Right, the victories and good news of Jesus. And then where is Galatia? That's right, southern Turkey. I was going to have like a Thanksgiving joke there, but I, I, can, I can read a room, so I don't, I'm not going to make a, a turkey. I'm not going to make a turkey-related joke. So you're welcome. Uh, so we're in Galatians chapter 4. No need to follow along. Um, but it is in the New Testament, which is the, the, uh, near the end of the Bible. We're on chapter 4. Uh, we're going to read uh, verses 21 through 31. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman, His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, or in the ordinary way. But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. Uh, The the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem, because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, from Isaiah chapter 54, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child, 
Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Scripture says in Genesis chapter 21, Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Okay, so uh, for those of you don't, that don't know, this uh, verse corresponds to an earlier story in Scripture. Uh, so just a quick basic overview of the characters. We've got Abraham, a man who was promised to be the father of many nations, uh, also referred to as Abram, and his wife, Sarah, uh, who was uh, once called Sarai. Uh, so Genesis uh, chapter 16 and 17. So, so God promises to Abraham that he's going to be the father of many nations. But Abraham gets really old. He's 86 years old. And at this time, he has no children, uh, no sons, no sons. And Sarah suggests to Abraham that he bear a son with their handmaid, and her name is Hagar. So they do. So Abraham and Hagar have a son, and they name him Ishmael. Um, and when uh, Abraham is 99 years old, God says to him, you know, Abraham, this is not the heir uh, that I had intended for you. Uh, the, the promise that I made to you to be the, the father of many nations is going to come through your wife, Sarah. And that made Abraham laugh because he was 99 years old. And I don't know many men who are 99 and have babies. Uh, but they did. They did get pregnant, and they had a son named Isaac. And Isaac means he laughs. My son's name is Isaac. And we were praying, this is just a side note, but we were praying that he would be a giggly kid and he is super giggly. Coincidence? I don't know. Um, so we have two, the- uh, two themes here, bondage and freedom. And the women represent those two themes. So you've got Hagar, the slave, and you have Sarah, Abraham's wife, bondage and freedom. Brace yourself for an amazing illustration. All right, I'm not even going to... Not even going to dare move that. I'm just going to move this a lot easier. Okay, so bondage is an orientation of the hands and of the heart. Follow so far? Is it this guy? He's got two hands, and they're out this way. Can everybody see that okay? Can you see that over there? Not really? I'm, getting, I'm not getting a, a nod. Okay. It's a stick man. I'll just be, I'll just be clear. Okay, and we've got a heart, and the heart also has eyes. Whoa, <laughs> thank you. I don't know who that is. Oh, thanks, Vivi. All right. Um, <clears throat> so this is um, one illustration of bondage. So you have a man or, or a woman, and he or she is facing away from Jesus, but his heart is oriented towards love and good deeds. So he's facing away, and his heart is facing towards Jesus. And this is, this is kind of what I would call altruism. Uh, I would actually call it pseudo-altruism. Um, it's like the, I just donated $10 to a cause, and I want you all to know about it, so I'm going to post it on social media. It's doing good for the sake of ourselves. This is an orientation of bondage, similar to this. 
equally good drawing with three symbols. Okay? Now this is a man looking at Jesus, but with his heart facing away from Jesus. This is a legalese approach. So it's following the laws and yet having our heart be oriented more towards the self. Think the lawmakers, the Pharisees. Think Abraham and Sarah, who decided they wanted a baby. They couldn't make it happen. They were getting into their old age. They figured out a new plan, not God's plan, their own plan. And they had a baby with the help of Hagar, the handmaid. Both of these orientations work, but they're not holy. Giving to a cause is good and may result in positive things. Abraham got a son out of the deal. Uh, But in both cases, God is absent. So the key question here is, how is Hagar and her affair with Abraham and their son Ishmael like the covenant of Mount Sinai, the giving of the law through Moses? All that Abraham and Hagar produced on their own was a son uh, who would not be the heir. Ishmael was not the heir. All that Israel produced when they tried to keep the law on their own was a legalism which would inherit nothing. And last week, if you listen to the recording, which is going to be really hard because it's only saved on that computer, he spoke about how legalism will eventually lead away from God and the worshiping of idols. So this leads to the second similarity between Hagar and Mount Sinai. Both of them bear children for slavery. If you look back at verse 24, it says that the covenant Hagar represents is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. Since Ishmael was not accepted as an heir, he was no better than his mother. And when the Israelites take the law upon themselves without trusting God for gracious enablement, they become slaves because they have no freedom to do the law from the heart and because their unbelief locks them into disobedience and excludes them from the inheritance. Uh, So if you don't know what any of that means, consider this. Ishmael types are not free because they do not have desire to rest into God's promises. Ishmael types are not free because they do not have desire to rest into God's promises. It's not like they don't desire uh, to be close to God. It's just that they want to be close to God on their own terms. Abraham and Hagar wanted God's blessing, and they went after it on their own terms. So quick story. Uh, My first year of grad school, I moved to Seattle. I was really gung-ho about going to grad school. Got into a really cool grad school, and my teachers were really cool in certain circles. Um, They were very highly respected, and uh, I was all about getting it right. Uh, I did all the homework, went to all the classes, went to all my little practicums. I was ready to be a super-duper therapist who was all really spiritual, and I got all my boxes checked. And at the end of the year, they said, Corey... You failed. And we're going to have you repeat your first year of curriculum. And I was totally crushed because I thought I was doing everything right. Um, But I wasn't. And I asked God what he was doing uh, through that failure. And he said, "I, I am preparing your heart. And in return, I long for you to have a freedom where you're trusting me. Not a theology of you can just do it all on your own, Corey, because you can't. So it was very humbling. I felt very broken. Um, I considered quitting and went through all the motions of of sorrow and uh, felt like I had squandered our our finances. And I remember that when we left Tucson to go there, um, Eric said, Pastor Eric said two things to me. The first thing was, if it doesn't work out, it's okay. And you can come back 
and we're going to accept you, and we're going to love you. The other thing he said um, came a little bit after the fact, um, after I had failed that first year, and he said, I didn't think you were prepared. And that hurt, that hurt. But he was right, and I wasn't ready. And in some ways, I'm still not ready, uh, because dealing with being vulnerable and dealing with being raw and being honest, it's very difficult uh, for me. Um, okay, I'm going to erase this. Everybody got this? Good. <laughs> um, now for all you uh, non-picture people, I'm going to draw. Well, let me see. I'm going to draw a grid here. Oh, yeah. Actually, this kind of looks like. I don't know what that looks like. Whatever, yeah, it looks like a volleyball net. Okay, it's not. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so in, in uh, this is Abraham, and he's kind of doing his own thing. So this is the progression, the progression, hard to talk and write at the same time. Okay, so this is Abraham doing his own thing and um, hanging out with Hagar and... having a son named Ishmael. So this is kind of the, the beginning part of Abraham's progression. And then Abraham listened finally to God, and he started over with Sarah and had a son who was the true heir named Isaac. Now, what is freedom? Freedom is a different orientation. Um. I'm just going to describe this illustration to you. Imagine a stick man, and his arms are facing the same direction as his heart, and they're facing the same direction as uh, the cross, so Jesus. So this is an orientation of obedience. Now, this is the most painful type of orientation, but it's always uh, the most rewarding. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Uh, That's part of uh, what Paul writes in Galatians. Paul contrasts the present actual place, Jerusalem, the city, in in verse 25, with the Jerusalem above. That's in verse 26. But what he means by the Jerusalem above can be seen in another letter that he writes, only this one is to the Colossians in verse 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So the Jerusalem above represents the dwelling place of God. Our life and our freedom flow down from God, and our lives are already secure, um, kind of in his, in his citizen book of the city. So getting back to my second year of grad school, I began to understand that there was strength and weakness, and I'm experiencing more and more of that as I um, do my job, as I serve as a husband, as I try to take care of my kids. Uh, Getting it right is really not what it's about. It's about being present. It's about uh, embracing the ways that I'm weak and really coming to grips with the places that um, I can't provide for them in a really strong way. Um, in no way had I arrived in that second year of grad school, but I was humbled. And God was telling me, Corey, it is okay to be weak. I will still hold you up. And I had an experience of freedom. I didn't have to worry about getting it right. It wasn't about getting it right anymore. It was about trusting God. It was about accepting that my life was in Jesus' control. So, what does God long for from us? 
obedience and freedom. Obedience is a hard word, I think, for me, because when I think obedience, I think, well, that's the type of training that you take your dog to, uh, obedience training. Um, But it's not like that, but at the same time, it kind of is, because when you realize that when your dog is being trained, that it's really for your dog's benefit, and it's for everybody's benefit. That when we understand the hierarchy of things, when we understand that God is in control, it actually makes our life better. So Abraham had learned this lesson. The only acceptance, the only acceptable response to God's merciful promise is trust in that promise, not works of the flesh that try to bring down God's blessing with our own efforts. I'm going to say it again. The only acceptable response to God's promise is trust. Okay, let's jump all the way back to Genesis here. Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to read quickly here. Uh, because I'm going to fill in the rest of this volleyball net. This is Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac, and he carried him and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Whoa. This is some pretty heavy stuff. I can only imagine what Abraham was thinking at this time, because he didn't really show all his cards. He didn't tell Isaac that he is the sacrifice. But the last time the God of the universe asked me to do something in order to be the father of many nations, I took matters into my own hands. And that didn't really work out. And now God is asking me to once again trust him and risk the heir to these many nations. So I have a feeling that Abraham... Abraham? Abraham. Abraham didn't really want to or feel like killing Isaac uh, for all the obvious reasons. Um, She probably thought, maybe I could sneak a lamb up for the offering and do things my way, and God won't know the difference. Or I could obey God and offer my son Isaac up as a sacrifice. So I'm going to fill in the, the rest of this in one second. But What happened dramatically next was that Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Okay, so 
The next step in Abe's, uh, Abe, I'm going to call him Abe from now on so I don't mess up his name. Um, he's transformed because now he is trusting God. So Abraham is trusting in the sacrifice of Isaac. It's so weird to say Isaac because my son's name is Isaac. Perhaps I can relate to Abraham a little bit better. So you can see that the trajectory of what's happening for Abraham. At first, he was doing his own thing. Didn't work out. God said, this is what you should do. He listened. And then Abraham is a transformed man. So my question is to you is, what choices are you making now? Abraham and Sarah decided to take things into their own hands with Hagar the handmaid, and they represent an act of disobedience and bondage. No longer is this a volleyball net. It's a soccer goal. Welcome, Mark. Where's Mark? It's a soccer goal. So, disobedience and bondage. And uh, I'm encouraging you all to think of times in your own life where you felt really bound. You felt bound by doing things your own way and having things not work out, and then later having things not work out, and later having things not work out again, and just repeating this pattern. It's an easy pattern for me to fall into, uh, especially when um, you are serving many roles as a husband, as a father, as a worker, as a member of the church body. Um, It's hard to end this cycle. Um, But if Abraham can do it, we can do it. We can obey, and we can ask God, what is it that you have for me? What are you doing in my life, and how can I follow you better? And we can trust that God will say, this is what I have for you. Because of this, we can experience freedom. So what blessing does God have for you? And if you're having trouble, I would uh, encourage you to trust your resistance. And I'm not, this is not a Star Wars reference. Um, if, you, if you think about places in your life where you don't really want to go, that's where I would encourage you to go. And ask God, what is it about this one place that's so special? Uh, if you can't really get there, think of something that's really precious to you, whether it's your wife or your husband or your children or your job or your title or as your uh, pride in Uh, being a good person, and doing things right. Is God calling you towards obedience and away from the bondage of these things? I know he was with me, and I know he will again. Um, Paul says again in uh, his letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 7, verse 6, he says, But now, by by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So from all of this comes something really, really cool. Because this comes full circle. That didn't show up very well. Serving a God that has invited you out of bondage. Service to the church, maybe. Service to your marriage. Service to your family it can become something really beautiful. Not something service like picking up trash or serving at a soup kitchen. Those are good things too. But I would really implore you to ask God, what is it that you're asking me to do service-wise? Maybe God is calling you back into your marriage. 
maybe into parent, back into parenthood, maybe back into your career. Maybe God is calling you to preach at church. Maybe God is calling you to play in a worship band, lead the children in kids' vespers. Maybe God, and I'm not advocating for this one, but maybe God is asking you to move to another state and plant another church or go back to school or go back and live with your, your family that's across country. Maybe God is calling you to stay in Tucson and finally put down roots. Maybe God is asking you to be released of the bonds of your secrets and to confess the dark parts of your story for the sake of freedom. In what ways are you being called into obedience? And next week, we're going to talk a little bit about um, we are free because Christ sets us free and what our role is with Jesus in that calling. Um, so I know that I'm, I'm not over, uh, but I want to pray and close and then uh, talk to you guys about something else uh, really quick. So let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we declare that you are above us and that you are in control of our lives and that you are involved in all of our lives, uh, whether you've been giving us radio silence for a long time whether you speak to us every day and we choose not to listen, whether you are speaking through others right to our faces, and finally we are realizing that, God, you are calling us into something greater, that you are calling us into obedience, you are calling us into freedom, and you are calling us into service. These are hard things, God, and yet you love us, and that's a hard thing too. And so, Lord, as uh, we chew on all of this information, as we um, think about what you're doing individually in all of our lives and collectively as a community, we seek your peace and we seek your strength as the enemy longs to to bring us down, tell us that we're good, everything's fine, we're just going to keep on trucking and not to worry. Uh, God, we seek your courage uh, to face dark things in our lives. Um, so Lord, would you be with us as we, uh, as we uh, celebrate what you've done and as we eat together? Would you hear our prayers? We say them in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, so I'm going to, let's see. I think I'll, I'll tell you just really fast um, how we respond as a community to God's word um, and I'll hand the baskets out when we're all done here, but one way is offering. We give, um, if you're a member of the church, feel free to give generously back to the church so we can keep the fans going and keep our pastors paid. Um, another way is through the healing chair, that white chair back there. If you're feeling like you're ready to um, confess to somebody or you, you just want uh, to be healed, you want somebody to pray over you while we worship, uh, sit back in that chair, and uh, somebody will come and see you, and they'll pray for you. Um, a third way is through communion. Um, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he took bread at the Passover meal, broke it, said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, and remember me. He took the last cup of wine, held it up, and he said, this is my blood poured out for you, the blood of the new covenant. Take and drink and remember me. So if you can say that you stand with Jesus uh, with his broken body and his blood poured out, then while we worship, uh, come and take the bread, dip it in the juice. Remember what God has done for you. 
Um, and worship is another way that we respond. Um, if I could transition uh, just really fast between now and, and when we worship, I wanted to um, let you all in on something that has happened recently in our community. I, I noticed some new faces around, so it, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense to you guys. But um, for those of you who know, uh, Cece has been coming to our church uh, for a few months. Um, and about three weeks ago, she had a stroke. She was in the hospital for, um, you know, since then. And um, the stroke got worse, and she did, she did die. Um, she died yesterday afternoon, and she was comfortable. She was uh, peaceful. And um, for those of you that are just finding out about this now, um, I want you to know that she was a very private person, and she didn't want um, everybody to know what was going on for her. She has had a very painful three weeks leading up until yesterday. Um, I know that some of you just kind of saw her. Some of you grew very close to her. Um, and even being part of the community for a short time, uh, I think she made a big impact on a lot of us, uh, myself included. So um, I will I'll offer that to you and allow you to seek God in your grief process if you have one. Um, my hope is that we can have a time where we can talk about it. Uh, maybe we'll have a, a little reception here and we can talk about her life and what she meant to us. Um, she did not want to have a funeral um, or any formal service. So um, I think we want to honor that request. But I wanted to let you all know and let the community know. And for those of you that um, are here and you know who, who isn't here, um, you can tell them that, that Cece has passed away. And um, um, it's a little weird for me to help transition us into worship. Uh, but worship is not about um, just saying that God, uh, God is... Uh, super awesome, and life is super great, um, especially when we deal with a loss. So my encouragement to you is that as we worship, uh, we offer our griefs to God, and we offer him our brokenness and our sadness. Um, Friday afternoon, I, I went to see Cece, um, and she wasn't awake, but I, I wanted um, to talk to her even though she wasn't awake. And um, there is a, a scripture that I wanted to read, and uh, the, the band is going to play this song, and you guys will recognize it probably. Um, I read this over her. Uh, this is uh, Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, 
for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And I had substituted, and she who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be her God, and she will be my daughter. Um, So I I leave that to you. Um, If you have questions about how things happened, I'm happy to uh, answer them uh, to the best that I can. Um, like I said, she was very private, so um, I, can't, I can't tell much more than what I've already told you. Um, uh, so please receive that as, as you will. So before we worship, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we seek you in our grief. As we uh, deal with a loss in our community, as we grieve uh, the passing of a really, really cool woman, Cece. Uh, Lord, she knew you, she loved you, and I trust that you have cared for her in a way that you have scooped her up out of the body that failed her and that she is delighting in the feast that you have for her in the dance that you are having in your kingdom. And for those of us who think about her, who love and loved her, I ask that you would catch our tears and uh, that you would continue to speak the truth of your gospel, that death is not the end, that resurrection is what we set our eyes on. Um, And for those of us that grieve harder and grieve outwardly uh, and will be in need, Lord, I ask that you Uh, would build us up as a community that can lean on each other because we are leaning on you. So thank you for being our God. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.